We were asked to serve at our church in a number of different uh, roles, and we kept saying no because we felt like we were not qualified to do that. And it wasn't until our pastor really challenged us and said, he told me specifically, we were at an airport, I'll never forget, we were on the mission trip, and he said, you don't believe in grace. And I was like, of course I do. You know, Jesus saved my life. He goes, no, you don't. Because you, you, you act and live as though Jesus didn't do enough on the cross. And somehow you have to punish yourself for your past. And that it's your job to, to save yourself. And that's not grace. And oh my gosh, I remember just like being hit between the eyes, kind of like, okay, something has to change. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the show. We are talking with author and pastor Inez Franklin about navigating a journey of faith where there are so many twists and turns, it can feel like you were lost. The other day, I was driving with my grandma and my daughter. We were headed to a family birthday party in the middle of Toronto. We live about 90 minutes outside the city, and traffic is notoriously bad. I pulled up to my grandmother's apartment and helped her into the passenger seat. And then when I got into the driver's seat, I picked up my phone to put in the address where the party was being held. But my 88-year-old grandmother tutted me. She was saying that she knew where she was going and was offended that a computer was telling her where to go. I, on the other hand, had no idea where I was going, or at least I knew the direction. I kind of knew where we were going, but I wanted to avoid road closures, construction, and accidents as they happen frequently on this road that we were driving in. Uh, the drive to Toronto from the west side, which where we were coming from, can be as long as three hours if you get caught in traffic or short as 90 minutes. So I put the GPS on, but I muted it not to offend my grandmother because, man, she did not like the voice of telling her where to go. But without missing a beat, my grandmother directed me the very same way that the GPS indicated. She also added in some additional backseat driver notes about when and how I should pass the cars around me. She definitely knew where she was going and how to get there. But I was curious about how she knew it so, so well. And she proceeded to tell me of stories of growing up in a Toronto suburb and visiting her father at work who worked in the Port Authority, which is now a heritage building in downtown. Uh, And she talked about going to the annual fair, sport events, and family members' homes over the last 88 years of her life. She had been lost before on multiple occasions, but By finding her way out, she learned the city better and can now navigate through the thickest traffic. There have been times when I have felt lost. I thought I knew the direction of my life, but found myself in unfamiliar territory and not sure how to get out. And I believe that this is a common feeling. Between poor choices and circumstances beyond our control, each of us have found themselves in a place we did not intend and not quite sure on how to get back on track. 
Our guest today, Inez Franklin, shares her story of being lost in her newest book, Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. You see, while Inez was cur- she while she you see, while Nez is currently a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church, a successful podcaster, president of Trochia Ministries, and on the board of impactful nonprofits like Forum for Christian Business Leaders and Think, much of her journey, life's journey she describes as being lost. Inez grew up in the mountains of Puerto Rico with her single mother and six other siblings. And while they lived in absolute poverty, they were relationally blessed. Inez remembers reading and studying missionaries like Mother Teresa and those who did great things for the world. But instead of following that path, she found herself in survival mode. Well, I was raised by a single mother who raised seven children. I was number six of seven. And we grew up in the mountains of Puerto Rico, where uh, really pretty much everyone who grew up in those areas was considered ignorant, you know, that we were uh, not intelligent, uh, mm. not ambitious, lazy people. So there was, there was always this stigma with us living in the mountains. Uh, and also, we were very poor. So on top of the fact that we already lived in an area that had sort of a stigma, we had so little, and that in itself separated us from everyone. But that being said, in that context, we had such a close family. Our, my brothers and sisters were very close. Uh, my mom obviously ran a very tight ship and she made sure we were all <laughs> she would need to. You know, <laughs> behaving. And, you know, she would threaten us sometimes, you know, but I mean, we were, we were all worked hard. And, mm-hmm. but growing up with that context for me, I remember feeling extremely free because we ran Mm. out in the country, we climbed trees, we Mm -hmm. ate fruit from all kinds of, I mean, there was every kind of fruit available to me because you're up in the mountains of Puerto Rico where it's very tropical. So there's great freedom and at the same time, a great deal of um, oppression, oppression Mm. from being poor, uh, oppression from being uh, an outsider and left out of so much. We would come down into town and, you know, we were the dirty kids. We're always dirty. <laughs> My, our knees were dirty. Our shoes were beat up because we, we only got one pair of shoes a year from the government. And so we were the kids who were like, eh, there they come, you know, that, that crowd. So, you know, for me, it, it left me with this sense of uh, wanting to escape that mm. world, wanting to be the one in my family that would find a path out of living in poverty, poverty or feeling like the outsider. And while at the same time, really enjoying having a big family and having, mm-hmm. you know, friends instantly in my own family, right? Because we have, we played right. together all the time. I didn't need friends. I had my own friends at home. So having that tension, yeah, wanting to escape and at the same time, the joy of having a big family. And I did not leave Puerto Rico until I was 16. Uh, okay. That's when we moved to California. So I, I was born and raised there. Spanish is my first language. So then coming to California and not speaking English, once again, I felt Mm. like an outsider, someone who didn't fit, someone who people kind of, they turned their head sideways them when they're listening to me because my Spanish came through my English when I try to speak English. So once again, I felt like an outsider and a bit oppressed because I couldn't participate in conversations or, yeah. So that's kind of my Puerto Rican (laughs) background. 
It's quite the dichotomy, right? You're talking about yeah. this freedom and lush life with the tropical, although also I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, you know, seven, eight people, seven kids and and your mom <laughs> and in mom. a small house. I'm sure there was a lot of- 600 square feet. It was, it was wow. two bedroom. Yeah, two bedroom, a living room, one bathroom. We didn't have a water heater. I'm not trying to, make, yeah. you know, exaggerate this no. to make a point. It's really how we grew up. Yeah. My, our bedroom where my sisters and I slept, we had two uh, double beds. So two slept in one bed, two slept in the other. My brother slept in bunk beds and my mom slept on a pullout couch in the living room until she could build okay. a little side room on the side of our house where she built a, her bedroom and a closet and a little common area. That's right. when our house expanded to, I'm guessing, maybe 800 square feet, you know, with her little side, wow. side yeah. uh, lean-to. Um, but yeah, we grew up pretty tight. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just think it's such an interesting picture of, you know, the, the, the companionship and the love and the relationships and the, and outside and playing and, and all of this. And then the contrast between going yeah. to town and being the others or, you know, the, the labels and all the labels that I'm sure many people put on you. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I also did not grow up in a, in a, a Christian home. My grand, my mom pretty much was uh, rebelled against the church in Puerto Rico. The Roman Catholic church is the, was at least, and I don't know how it is now, but definitely was the main church everyone went to. And, but we didn't, we, we did not go to church. It was only my abuelita who finally decided, you know, to make things right and take, take us kids to church. And so when we were little, she started to take us to church on Sundays, she would pick us up, at least the few that were willing to go with her. And that was my exposure to Christianity at a young age. Wow. Wow. You, and you moved to California in, in when you were 16 ish and, yes. but you describe your young adult years in, on your website and podcast and your book as, as being, you were, were caught in survival mode. Yes. What do you mean by survival mode? Cause I, I have a feeling you've picked those words really intentionally. Indeed. Well, obviously in our upbringing, even in Puerto Rico, we were constantly in survival mode. We were living Mm -hmm. on government subsidized food. And my uncles, he would literally kill one cow a year and give us a piece of it that we would freeze and eat all year round. That was our meat, which was a tiny piece along the other food we ate. Um, But then we moved to California. And in California, it was even harder. We moved in with my brother Mm -hmm. who had a one bedroom apartment uh, he had his mother-in-law and father-in-law living with him and a newborn. And here comes my mom and three kids, uh, teenagers, um, and all eight of us lived in a, a one-bedroom apartment wow. for eight months while we tried to figure out where we would live on our own. And so all of us were sent off to work right away. My mom said, you know, here's a speech. You stop at every store from school to home and ask them if you could clean their shelves or mop their floor because we learned how to clean. That's something my mom mm-hmm. taught us well. And so that's what we did. And it took me seven blocks to find a job. And my brother and sister found a job as well. Of course, we were making pretty low money, but every <laughs> penny went towards us finding a place. And I would say that posture of just scrapping for, for our needs just was always there. And also... Uh, being raised by a single mom meant that I didn't have the support of a father and I didn't have even her as wonderful as my mom was. I mean, how could you 
give every child what they need when you have seven children. Right. It, it, she was pretty spread thin. And so I was one of the younger ones. I was not the baby. And so therefore I was kind of left to figure things out on my own. Yeah. And so survival mode was like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to contribute to the food in the table to how am I going to figure out school? How do I learn English? How do I, I mean, then, then there's college and these decisions I had to make completely on my own. And, mm. you know, trying to just make life work, to be an overcomer to my past, to my uh, mm. poverty. I wanted to, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to get out of needing so much from people uh, so that I could be a little more self-sufficient. Mm. During that age is a, a time when we start to um, attribute value to who we are, you know, yeah. what, who are our gifts or our, our calling, or, you know, calling might not be the word we use at, you know, 18, 19 years old, but, you know, just where we want to be and who we want to be. And it sounds, it sounds like you, or correct me if I'm wrong, that you were really trying to make it on your own and separate yourself from what yes, maybe was yes. in the past. I had this desire to be like Mother Teresa. I had I had heard about her when we were living in Puerto Rico. I don't even know how, but um, and I thought, <laughs> oh, how beautiful! I want to go out and and um, just live a life of service. My yeah. my grandmother, my abuelita, named me, and my name Ines Socorro. So it's my first and middle name actually have a great deal of meaning to her. So Ines means pure, and Socorro is another name for the Virgin Mary. And so she would always tell me that she had this desire for me to be uh, a woman one day, maybe a nun, um, whose yeah. life would be completely at the service of God. And that sounded yeah. really cool to me. I, I, I either wanted to be Mother Teresa or I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I couldn't decide. Oh. I went back and forth <laughs> between the two. But um, I, I went off to life to try to figure that out. So you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. And at 16, being in the U.S., trying to learn English in a hurry, trying to get into college or prepare to go to college, that was extremely hard. Uh, and I, I, felt, I felt disposable. I felt like I was at one mm -hmm. mouth too many to feed. I, you know, obviously, my dad didn't think much of me because he left when he, we were little and never came back into my life for, except for a couple little times. And my mom had little time for me. So I felt in a sense that I had to bring value to my life in order for mm. people to think that, oh, it's good that Inez is here <laughs> because otherwise I felt like I was a nuisance to everyone and, and a burden. Mm. What st stood out to me when you said is I felt disposable. And yeah. I just think that is a familiar feeling for so many people, whether you're a leader in ministry or, you know, coming to the church for help is that what is my value? What is my worth? Am, am I just yeah. here for nothing? You know, and I just think yeah. that feeling is so innate. I just love how you put language to that. So good. So growing, so you're a young adult and trying to navigate life, trying to make a name for yourself, figuring out who you are. Uh, I don't think neurosurgeon panned out for you. <laughs> but well, well, no, you. it didn't. I got accepted. Well, So there was, a, at the time, this was when Ronald Reagan was giving, um, uh, what was it called? When you give, when you, anyway, helping students get into college, in, impoverished okay. people like me to get into college. And so I got into two schools. One of them was for uh, becoming a neurosurgeon, and the other one was a business school. And 
I decided not to be a neurosurgeon because the schooling was going to take me until I was 36 years old. Oh my. And that seemed like forever. I was like, oh no, I don't think I like to be, I don't want to wait that long. And especially because my desire was to be successful and get out of poverty. And I thought, how can I be in school that long? I'm never going to survive Mm -hmm. that, you know, being able to Mm -hmm. feed myself or have a place to live. Because my mom, as soon as we turned 18, we were out the door. We were, we had to move out. So we were not allowed to live with her. So it's how could I even do that if I was going to school that long? So I dropped my neurosurgeon plan and decided to go into business uh, okay. just again to make money, to try to get out of yeah. poverty. I'd figure out the Mother Teresa thing down the line. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's coming because I think that is your heartbeat is living sacrificially for the Lord. And I think it's, yeah, Yeah. definitely cool. Not the way I expected indeed. No, (laughs) there was quite the twists and turns in in your story and you share quite openly about that. Um, Are you able to bring us through some of those um, challenges that you faced and in your, in your twenties and early thirties? Yeah, you know, with this dream of trying to uh, overcome my poverty and again, being sent out into the world at literally just after I turned 18 years old, I I started to struggle immediately. So the Mm. very first thing that happened is I met a young man. I was actually buying a pair of shoes because I walked to school and it was a long walk and my shoes were really uncomfortable. And I met him at a shoe store and that became my first husband. Uh, with whom, as a matter of fact, when we first met, I, again, I was so naive. I was 18, but probably going on 14, you know, because again, I grew wow. up in the mountains, super naive. Yeah. And he, he um, obviously pursued me <laughs> and we ended up having sex very, you know, first early in our relationship and I got pregnant right away. Wow. And so here I meet this guy, I'm trying to start college and I get pregnant and yeah. he's telling me like, hey, you can't have this child. It's not a child. It's just cells. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I don't even know we're going to get married. So we ended, I ended up asking my mom for $150 and I got an abortion. Mm-hmm. And it felt terrible. I was obviously, I didn't tell her why, why I asked her for the money. And, but, you know, eventually we, he and I ended up getting married and we had a son together. Um, but he ended up being quite of an abusive person. So after four and a half years of marriage, uh, other people intervene into my life because they were concerned for my safety, and mm-hmm. we ended up getting divorced. All along, my abuelita kept sending me letters saying, like, hey, you know, you're trying to put wisdom in my heart, and I just, yeah. I, I would listen to it, but, but not trying to, I'm over here surviving, <laughs> Grandma. You know, you have no idea what it's like to yeah. do this. And so yeah. anyway, I did meet another man, and I got uh, remarried a few years later was married for 15 years. Um, But before we got married, uh, while we were still trying to figure out if we were going to be, you know, a long-term relationship, I had a son now, so it was really difficult to decide. Uh, Again, we were sexually active and I also got pregnant with him. And um, once again, I felt like, nope, I can't have a baby with this man. I don't know if I'm going to marry him. And with this mindset that this was just cells, that it was not a child, Uh, I had my second abortion. And what was starting to happen in my heart, I think, from these experiences was that I was starting to feel like, oh, man, I, I'm making a lot of poor decisions. I am not 
I'm not living out the pure life. I'm not living out, quote, the Mother Teresa life. Like I'm, every time I would make these decisions, I felt more and more disqualified and more further away from the goal in my heart, my desire to be a good person. And to, even though I didn't have a relationship with God, I still knew he existed. I had the whole Mm -hmm. experience as a child with God, which I share in my book. So I knew he existed and I knew that what I was doing was wrong. But I, again, I'm in survival mode. And then after 15 years of marriage, we ended up going through a divorce um, because of so many factors. Um, He had severe depression. Uh, He's an alcoholic and he wasn't dealing with his depression. So now I had three children and from two divorces. And I really felt like I was the common denominator. I was the problem. Wow. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, during that season, uh, I went back to work for a man I used to work for before. And in that time working with him, I ended up having an affair. And so in my 30s, late 30s is when I kind of woke up from this journey of survival and look back at this mess of my life mm. and realizing how all my intentions, all my dreams were out the window because I now mm. just really had to just survive the rest of my life and try not to make any more big mistakes. And I wasn't Mm. sure I could do that, to be honest. Mm. Was it kind of like you just found yourself, how did I get here? The intention at the beginning was not this. And all of a sudden, you know, 15, 20 years have gone by and you're like, how did I get here? What has happened? Trying to, you know, like we were talking about like feeling lost and just not knowing your, very much, you know, very much where you were. Mm. Yes. And feeling, feeling a sense of, of a lack of trust in myself, you know, because all along I was making decisions, which with what I thought was my wisdom and, and even sometimes the wisdom of others and trying to, you know, at the same time I was succeeding in business. So I had this sort of mixed, terrible relationship, uh, experiences while at the same time succeeding in business. And, but looking at this going, I've, I've made all the wrong choices. I've, I've put Mm -hmm. all the, my values are wrong, obviously, because once I realized that I can't put my finger, point my finger at others anymore, I have to look at myself in a mirror and see that I'm part, I'm definitely a huge part of the problem, but I didn't know how to fix it. I was so lost. And in the middle of our affair, uh, Jim, who we're now married, we've been married 20 years. Uh, so we had decided to get married and we, in the middle of our, our season, when he was going through his divorce, he said, Hey, we should go to church. And it was just like that. It was just a random little statement one day. We were actually driving when he said it. And I thought, okay, okay. I, I need something different. Wow. I don't know what else to do. And so we started attending a different church every Sunday. We Googled the churches in the area and went to a different church every Sunday, every denomination under the sun. <laughs> and the last church on the list on October 20th, 2002 was Mariner's Church. And when we walked in, we heard one worship song. And then the pastor started teaching about John chapter four, the women who met Jesus at a well and how he knew her story. She had been married multiple times and was living with a man who was not her husband. And that was me. And all of a sudden I realized like, oh, oh, there's hope for someone like me. Because I didn't think there was. I thought I was just going to church to, I don't know. I really didn't know why I was going to church. I was going to church because Jim said, let's go to church. 
<laughs> but I, there all of a sudden I realized like, okay, there's something here for me. And we kept coming. And mm. a year later, I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm shocked, shocked that years later, here I am teaching at that church and wow. sharing the gospel with others like that woman did. And it's truly unbelievable and living a totally different life because of what Jesus has done in my life. It's just incredible. I think it's so amazing that when you went to church, you heard a message of, you know, reducing shame or removing shame or saying that regardless of your past, you are welcome, you are accepted, you are beloved, you are considered valuable. And and I think we often underestimate the the power of having Sunday morning services when we're taught when when people are just visiting or watching online or sneaking in the back late, leaving early, that those messages of hope and compassion and welcoming are there. And I just, I just love that that is what, you know, tenderized, I don't know, or was the catalyst for, for this shift towards hope and healing. Very true. I, what, you know, I preach now, which again, blows my mind that here I am now, teaching at the very church that saved, you know, was where Jesus saved me, where Jesus drew me in and pursued me. And when I preach, I always think how, um, yeah, this, it could be a person coming once and this Mm. could be the message that speaks hope to them. So I'm always mindful that I don't, even if I preach a series, that every single message uh, matters. Now, at the same time, remember, I I went to a different church every Sunday for a year. And there were many churches that I walked in and walked out. We, you know, the, Mm. in fact, the day that I went to Mariner's church, we had also gone to another church. And the minute everyone turned around to start worshiping, we left. Because I was so convinced, the minute these people hear my story and hear, you know, what I have to say, they're going to know you know, what a shameful person I am and the things that I've done, and they're going to kick me out. I was just sure of it. So it was so hard to find my, feel welcome at a church. Mm. And I think God knew that. And I think, you know, the Bible is really big. There's a lot of stories. And that day he, I know he ordained for that story to be told because it's just, it was a story I needed to hear to see myself in God's mm. redemptive story. Because I didn't. I felt like I had really blown my relationship with God and that I, there was no way I could fix that. The, you know, the mm-hmm. religion and faith was not, not in the cards for me. But I needed wisdom mm-hmm. from somewhere, so I was willing right. to try. Right, right. Awesome. Did you ever have a mentor or someone that journeyed with you through while you were young in the Lord and kind of developing that faith? Yes. So we met our senior pastor fairly early on our journey of faith, which is pretty remarkable at a big church. And he mentored me um, in a way he mentored me into my calling, uh, which was pretty amazing. Um, Also, he called the church to um, start small groups. And I remember a Sunday fairly quickly after we started going to Mariners, uh, he said, okay, everyone needs to um, start a group in your home. So sign up. So we signed up (laughs) and we started a group in our home. And we were like, 
new believers. I haven't even read the Bible. You know, it's a brand new <laughs> believers, barely believers. I don't even think I was a believer at the time. And we had these people in our home and some, it was a mix up in the system. So we ended up with 27 people showing up at our house, wow. which is way too big. Yeah, way too big for a small group. <laughs> and so within a few weeks, we got down to like 14 uh, because there were different ages and stages. So we kind of normalized. But then that group became my discipleship. Uh, wow. mentor, really. all every, The people in that group, many of them who had been Christian for years, who had who knew the Bible, uh, they mentored me as well. So the combination of the pastor and then the group, uh, the people in my group were very instrumental in my journey. Mm. Our past never leaves us. It always seems to follow us or, or try to latch on and dictate where we go and what we do. I'm curious, what helped you not be distracted or get pulled back into some of those negative feelings or struggles around value and self-worth and, 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 and identity? I'm curious, what helped you carry forward? In, in an odd way, the fact that I had made such a mess and was so low when I came to Mariners mm. that any progress was forward progress. You know, any, <laughs> any, it felt like, like I had nowhere else to go but up because of how low I was. Now, at the mm. same time, um, that, which is a good thing. At the same time, we were very, uh, I, I think the Holy Spirit put this in our hearts, which I'm so grateful looking back, that we were very, um, honest about our story right up front because people would say, oh, how did you and Jim meet? That was the first question. And it seemed to me like God ordained for everyone to ask us that question for about <laughs> four years. Every, and my husband's a connector, so we met so many people and people kept asking that question. And again, that we decided we were going to tell our story very honestly. So wow. at first we just start crying. We would just start crying. It was like, here it comes. We got to tell our story. And it was so embarrassing. Yeah. We look at each other like people are telling their stories around the table. We knew it was coming our way. And we would completely mm. change the dinner table conversation because obviously once we spewed out our story, it was like, oh my gosh, we got to talk. Now we're not talking light anymore. And right. eventually we got better at it, at sharing like, hey, do you really want to tell, hear our story? Because our story is a God, a big God story of redemption, but it's messy. So you know, it's going to change the table conversation, but people were willing and we did it for a long time. And so in that sense, I was able to live, both Jim and I were able to live in more freedom. Mm. But that said, there's, well, it was years before we let go of the shame. So we would tell our stories. We knew that we needed to tell our stories. And then we had this vulnerability, as Brene Brown says, vulnerability mm. hangover, for yes. days of like, now people know our stuff and I don't know, maybe yeah. we're, we're, they're going to kick us out or we're going to be rejected. And we live with that for a long time. We were asked to serve at our church in a number of different uh, roles and we kept saying no because we felt like mm. we were not qualified to do that. Mm. And it wasn't until our pastor really challenged us and said, he told me specifically, we were at our airport, I'll never forget, we were on the mission trip and he said, you don't believe in grace. And I was like, of course I do. You know, Jesus saved my life. He goes, no, you don't. Because you, you, you act and live as though Jesus didn't do enough on the cross. And somehow you have to punish yourself for your past. And that it's your job to, to save yourself. And that's not grace. 
And oh my gosh, I remember just like being hit between the eyes. Yeah. Like, okay, something has to change. And then we went on a trip to Israel. And when we were there, he told us the, the story of Peter having denied Jesus three times and then going back to fishing in shame and Jesus coming to him and calling him back. And then he invited us mm-hmm. to leave shame behind or leave something behind. It could be shame. Mm-hmm. It could be other things. At the Sea of Galilee, we had to throw a rock and uh, symbolizing the thing we needed to leave behind. So both Jim and I were looking for the largest boulder possible <laughs> because that's how big our shame was. And that was years after we had become you know, believers and we're serving at the church. And he looked at us and he said, Inez, you're, you're called to teach and you're not doing it. And Jim, you, you, we've invited you to be an elder at our church and you keep saying no. And you need to leave that shame behind and say yes to what Jesus is calling you to do. And so that's what I now call active surrender, not just leaving something behind, but saying yes to what God calls us to. And so we threw a rock, a little rock, because that's all we could find. And that's really when we began to um, live in freedom. And yet, that said, our past, as I'm sitting here with you 20 years after, almost 20 years after we came to Mariner Church, still, still sharing my story putting it in writing in my book, mm-hmm. because now I look at my past very differently. I look at my past as it is what it is, right? I, I, I want to be honest about it, but also God doesn't waste anything. And I am always surprised, continue to be pleasantly surprised how God uses my story to bring hope and healing to others and how he keeps reminding me, even like every time I share my story, like I just did with you, I'm once again reminded of the power of God's grace and the, yes. the extent of God's love for us is so big. Because when I tell my story, I think, how would a good God forgive someone like me for doing what I've done? But he does. And so yeah. I need to tell my story because it helps me remember grace. But I also see God using every bit of it to heal others and help others find freedom as well, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for sharing your story. Typically, we want to hide our past, right? We want to bury it, make sure no one sees it, you know, make it folded up neatly in a pretty box and shove it in the basement or or disguise our past mistakes as other people's um, control or problems over us. And, and, but not only do you openly, have you openly shared those and been transparent and vulnerable throughout your personal relationships and in ministry, but you, like you said, you have now published these in your book. And this is so courageous. And you, it's almost like this, you are just saying, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown and, you know, what um, shame grows in secrecy. I think that's one of her sayings. And so now you are like, this is no longer secret shame. You have no control, no power over me. And I just think that is brilliant and so courageous. Um, I'm interested to know more about um, your book and and your ministry and and why God led you to write this book now. You know, it's been out for a little bit, um, but why why this book? Why your story? Why share it now? Why what has it? What has been godly um, uh, encouraging you to to do? So when I first got called to teach and to tell my story. I had this idea that I was just going to be a Bible teacher. And of course, I, I, did, I was a brand new believer. 
So I had to go and learn the Bible and get up to speed as quickly as possible, which was very hard to do when you're 40 years old, have two kids and, you know, you're a brand new believer. But I did. I worked really hard. And at the very first topic I got, God gave me six topics to study and write on. I just finished my first book 18 years after receiving that list. So as you can see, it's going to take me a while. But the <laughs> first topic was about discerning the will of God. And I thought, great, I'm on it. I'm studying books and all these things. And quickly uh, over time, I realized that, no, no, God doesn't want me to just teach the Bible. He wanted me to tell my story. And mm -hmm. I fought that. I fought that for many years. I am not writing a memoir. I'm not writing about my story. It's one thing to say it. It's another to write it down. So I literally had a lot of wrestling like Jacob with God. And then eventually, I think the Lord just kept working in my heart and I realized, okay, I, all right, I'll do it. And then I started to figure out how do I teach and tell my story? So it's been a real journey, just so you know. The, the book originally was going to be called Discerning the Will of God. And then uh, having confidence in walking with Jesus, something like that. And, and it ended up being called Uncharted because God took me <laughs> on this uncharted journey of learning how to live in this place of vulnerability, honesty about my story, full transparency, while at the same time walking in the authority of scripture and sharing, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm learning about scripture. And that those two did not seem to fit together in my head, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I started writing it that it, it came to life. It, it started to come through. And I really look at my book now and I think people will say, wow, this is such an interesting combination of your story, stories of the Bible, spiritual practices, teaching. And I'm thinking, yeah, because only God could write a book like that because I did <laughs> not. This is not what I wanted to write, but it is what God wanted for me. I read this book. I've read this book multiple times. I need it. Hmm. And I see how it's ministering to others who themselves feel either blocked in by shame or have a mm -hmm. desire to control the circumstances of their journey of faith or are stuck in comparison so between their story and somebody else's or struggling to find community in the journey of faith or really disoriented by suffering in their lives or by the ambiguity sometimes of the journey of faith or the questions that they have. Like I feel like there were so many people who are being ministered to through the very journey that God put me in, you know, this is, these are things mm -hmm. I had to figure out as I was writing this book that God was teaching me. And now I'd love to see how God is ministering to others. It's, it's truly remarkable. I, I'm, mm. I'm so humbled to be just part of what God is doing in people's lives. It's amazing. Yeah. Your, your story is so relatable. Well, mm. people might have not experienced similar things and, and life experiences. We haven't all grown up in the mountains of Puerto Rico or, you know, experienced all of the things that you've had, but we can, we all can relate to those feelings of shame and unworthiness yeah. and that you don't belong and that no, yeah. you know, those are the core feelings that I think are human or can be experienced by all humankind. And I think it's beautiful how you've, God has led you to marry the stories of hope and faith and grace all in one. And I'm assuming that people have used this book more for just their, more than just personal use. I, this book has been used for small groups. Is that correct? Yes. 
Yes, that's yeah. right. It, it, the very first thing when it, then the book first came out, uh, I had a launch party and people were buying six, seven, eight books. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah. why do you need so many books? They're like, oh, I'm <laughs> using this for my small group. And so, mm-hmm. and so they started doing small groups with zero. I don't have a, you know how books have questions at the end of the book and it's set up right. for small. I did not set that out. I, the book has a lot of questions in each chapter. It's because I want to interact with the reader. I, I was asking questions of the reader and it has spiritual practices at the end. And many people have used it just like that to have a small group experience. And I actually got to meet several groups at the end of their experience. After 14 weeks, this is 14 chapters, they invited me. 14 week asked, small group. Yeah, oh, wow. can you believe that? Can you believe that? Which is <laughs> that's like, amazing. Wow, we have such a hard time getting people to commit to six weeks, right? That's Here, what they, I they was thinking. <laughs> because the, in, and so I did write an eight-week study guide because I thought okay. that's unusual. People are not going <laughs> to. And I, I can't tell you how many people still come to me and say, "No, we want to read the book one chapter at a time." There's so wow. much depth in each chapter. We want to actually. Uh, talk about it, think about it, discuss it. And so, uh, and then to hear the stories of what people have experienced. So obviously freedom from shame, obviously Mm. a sense of like, Hey, my story doesn't have to be dramatic and huge or even like Inez's to, to, or like some other person out there who like had this terrible past. And then this conversion story, like, I don't have to have that story. I have a part to play in God's redemption plan. And therefore, Mm. every story matters and that each story is unique and has its own circumstances, its own journey. And we get to see and share about a loving God who operates in our stories. And so I see that kind of conversation. Uh, One woman said to me, I didn't think I had a story until I read your book. And now I do. I have a story. And she shared with me her story. And it was so beautiful how she came in touch with her own, the, the gift that God has given her that she can share with others. So yeah. now there is an eight-week study guide. So, <laughs> And I'm actually going to do a small group thing starting next year to, to actually walk oh, in with, uh, with some people. And, and and when I share that with others, some people are like, no, I still want to do the 14-week. I want to do the book, <laughs> you know, step-by-step, which Go is for it. so fun. <laughs> I love yeah. that people are like, no, I want to do, I wanted the book the way it is. And other people are like, yeah, give me the eight-week study. I want to do it more concisely and more in the mm-hmm. traditional way you do the studies. But yeah, I, again, I keep, I'm just blown away. Blown away. And we're going to make sure we link to the website and all the resources that you're sharing um, so that people can, you know, just scroll, you know, scroll your phone up, click on those yeah. links, and it'll take you right to the website where we can find all of your information. We'll definitely have that linked and easily accessible for everyone. I love that. I'm curious, Inez, I'm curious if you can go back in time and write yourself a letter or leave yourself a voicemail, knowing what you know today and thinking back to the young person, um, what would you tell your younger self? What wisdom or encouragement would you share with them? Don't do it alone. Mm. You don't have to do it alone. I I would definitely write this long letter saying the same thing over and over again. God is trustworthy. Seek him, Mm -hmm. seek him, seek him, seek him. I ran from God and I tried to be independent of God. And in that independence, I made a lot of foolish decisions. 
And I felt so alone and so mm-hmm. isolated um, and, and pretty much kind of having to figure out life on my own in my way. And I would, I would try to tell my 18-year-old self that go find a church, find, you know, you go to a different church every Sunday, which is what I eventually did when I was in my forties, like do it now, do it now. You go find a church, find a group of people that will encourage you. You seek God, pick up that Bible that your abuelita gave you that's collecting dust and read it. It's going, it's going to make a difference in your life. Even if you make mistakes, cause you probably will, you mm-hmm. will feel the grace of God and he will help you. He will help you through with temptations. He will help you through your lack of wisdom. He will help you remember that you're valued and cherished and loved by a loving God that never leaves you or forsake you. I would just ramble on about that nonstop <laughs> to the 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if we could? But would we be oh, the same today? Yes. yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, well, I, you know, I, I love that you say that. Can I just point on that? Because yeah. I think about that sometimes. I think, yeah. oh man, would I have been, you know, look at what God's doing in my life. You know, this was the story I had to live. But this is what to me is most remarkable about God. And that is no matter our stories, again, his mm-hmm. heart is to redeem us and make us like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's his heart. And therefore, it doesn't matter what our story is. He's working in towards that direction. So if I had followed Jesus at 18 and given my life to him, chances are my story would be very different. I can guarantee you it would be very different. <laughs> and, and yet I believe, and I would probably still would have made some mistakes. It's not like you become right. perfect the minute you give your life to yeah. Jesus, but God would have redeemed and mm-hmm. by his grace would have been transforming into Jesus. And I would have had another remarkable story. Absolutely. Because that's who God is. He does that with every one of our stories, which is why I, I talk in my book about not comparing our stories with others. Because if someone grew up and they knew Jesus right from the beginning and they felt like I love Jesus and I've been walking with Jesus all my life and their story is still incredibly beautiful and God can use in remarkable ways. So, Yeah. Maybe my story would be different, but it would still be beautiful because I know that's what God does. So good. I love that. Thank you, Inez, for sharing your wisdom, your story, and your heart with us. I hope that people are uh, feel that they know and they trust you and they're able to engage with your your book and your small group study because it really can transform people's lives. There is power in stories. And um, I think True. people just don't know their story. And I hope that people engage with your your work and, and what God's doing through your ministry. Thank you, Laura. It's been such a joy to be with you the, today. And God bless your ministry and everything that you do as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Care Ministry Podcast. I am so grateful for your dedication to serve your community. If you want to learn more about Inez's new book, Uncharted, as well as her small group guide and other resources that she has, definitely check out her podcast. Make sure you look at the show notes, episode 123. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I recommend that you refer it to someone. Tell someone about it. Let them know that there is hope, that their story matters. So definitely pass this on and share this episode with someone that God brings to mind. Thanks so much for connecting and take care.